Hey friends, welcome back to Rewildology, where we explore conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and world traveler. On today's show, we're traveling back to the Galapagos Islands to hear part two of my conversation with Josie Cardoso. We chat about a very interesting citizen science project she recently joined as a team lead called Barco Galapagos, why the Galapagos Islands are so special and should be on every nature lover's bucket list, and how we can all do our part to protect and restore nature. This whole conversation has me thinking that maybe once the time is right, we should get a group of us from the Rewildology community to go. What do you all think? I am dying for any excuse to go back and bringing a super fun group of all of you with me sounds like a freaking blast. I'll just let that idea sit and grow, but seriously, if it does sound fun to you, reach out on Instagram or email me at hello at rewildology.com. Lastly, if you're liking the show so far, please subscribe and share wherever you're listening. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow, and I promise to continue bringing on fascinating guests and sharing their inspiring stories. And now, on to part two with Josie. When you and I were, we were texting the other day, you were talking about Galapagos barcode. What exactly is that? Mm. And what is your role with them? And yeah, let's just, ch- I would really love to hear more about that project. Yeah, um, actually that's a project run by the university, uh, San Francisco University in the mainland. And is one of the most ambitious projects here in Ecuador uh, with citizen science. And uh, this university um, realizing the need of Galapagos, right? That most of us, we were unemployed because I would say 90% of the guides were freelance. So no guests, no trips, no work, basically. They decided to put together this project that was already, you know, they, they, for sure they were already thinking several, a couple of years ago of doing it. And they say, okay, we're going to, uh, um, to get some grants, some fundings. So that's, they were lucky enough to get this money in order to get the project running at COVID time, because it's how they can contribute with the people, giving them income in time that no one has a job, right? So in that case, they did, um, they say, okay, we're going to, we need 50 people uh, and uh, we prefer to be guides, fishermen, and people uh, that works in agriculture. So all these three types of people, we were able to apply in order to help this project that is the Galapagos barcode. So what we want to do is to barcode all the species that we have here on the islands. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, if we have 4,000 species, we're going to do the barcoding of those 4,000 species, but for sure there are, there are more, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, you had uh, team leaders, field assistants, lab assistants, and uh, you have this other group of people that I really don't know the name in English, but it's people that is going to be doing the interviews. Okay, so we interviewers, have that's fine. Interviewers, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we applied about... 500, 500 people, and it was only a spot for 50 of us. I was lucky enough to get it. I applied as a team leader 
And we started in uh, at the well at the beginning of December. That's where we started, and it's going to last for nine months. Uh, this project, it's a, we started December, you know, with the conference because we need to learn. I mean, you didn't need to have previous experience in order to qualify, because then if you if they were going to require that, the amount of people was going to narrow. Right. And what they wanted to do is help as many people as they wanted. So some of us have already some experience. Some of us have nothing of experience working on a lab, for example. So we had December has been a full time of uh, uh, conferences, different sorts. You know what? What is what this project one, all the different stages that we're going to go through, the new equipment that we're going to get. And uh, we need to get paperwork from each one of us that is going to be involved of the pro- in the project. And uh, right now, the next part is going to be looking of the samples of animals or plants or organisms that have been already collected. And from there, you are going to get the sample in order to get the genetic information and do the barcoding. And uh, right now with technology, you know, I'm learning. I'm so amazed of how technology uh, works in favor of these projects, right? Uh, Before, you need to have thousands and thousands of dollars, and they were huge machines where you you needed in order to get the DNA information of, of of a species. Right now, there are these little machines that fit on your pocket, right, that are not that expensive. And you can transport it very easily. So right now the equipment is arriving to San Cristobal Island. And from there, they're going to send part of the equipment here. And it's uh, the project, imagine it's 50 people that were spread on three different islands, Isabela, San Cristobal, and Santa Cruz. We have to have a high level of communication because all of us were a team. Some of us, we don't know each other. And we have all the assistants, field assistants, all the lab assistants, and the interviewers. So that's what now I'm involved. It's a learning. It has been a great learning opportunity. Uh, one of our big, first biggest uh, works or like uh, homeworks was to get, uh, get into the gene bank website and get the genetic information of some specific genes of organisms that are here. So we had uh, to analyze about 3,000 organisms from you know lichens, fungus, insects, vertebrates. Some of them had so much information. Some of them non uh, plants, non information at all. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing, and uh, we're going. Well, right now we're starting our third month. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, we, we we don't know what's ahead. Every month we have a specific thing to do, and that's what the. We're doing, but it's going to be great. You know, 50 people working on a citizen science project that's run by a university among, you know, they have also alliances with other universities. That's so exciting. Oh my gosh. And so I I had like a million questions pop in my brain just as my, you know, scientist brain is just going off right now. (laughs) So are, are the species that you're collecting, are they all land species or is there going to be effort going underwater? Because I'm sure that is a whole different ballgame 
if we're going to be start diving and trying to get the species, I mean, there's so much biodiversity around the islands. So where are they starting? (laughs) What's the goal to start with? And is it going to continue growing? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, that's why we need the fishermen because Mm. it goes underwater as well. So uh, for what they have told us first, we're going to, of course, you know, because going out in the field means money. And uh, of course, there is not that much money to do field trips, but uh, there is a lot of species already collected from land and from the ocean. So, uh, and if we need a specific one, then the project will get all the permits, will join also other projects that are running because that's easier and it's uh, more efficient in time to join a scientist that has already the permits to collect a specific species, then you are starting the whole thing in order to collect a specific species. So yeah, it's it's land and it's ocean. Imagine how many species are going to be there. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. And with these little devices that fit on your pocket, it's incredible. I mean, fifty people doesn't even sound like enough. I mean, <laughs> with how many how many things we saw in ten days. Ah. I don't even, that's incredible. Nine months. That's ambitious. I mean, that's exciting. Like fingers crossed with everybody doing their part that you catalog as many as possible. That'll be amazing. I I guess some species are already cataloged. So that's an advantage, but the ones that are not cataloged and don't have the barcoding, then we'll have, we'll have to do it. I'm in the learning process. You know, I've never been on a lab. I didn't study genetics. So that's a, an important part of this project that you are learning. You know, it's like, I've been paid to learn. What a great deal. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, you know, of course, we do it with a lot of responsibility. We, like all these two months paperwork that it's needed that you have to collect from uh, from the other assistants and lead people that you don't know. Well, here in town, we kind of know each other, but we've never worked with them, you know, in, in these specific things. So working with four or five people that it's you are in charge, that they are part of the team, you know, because each one of us, it's a different world. Maybe what responsibility means for me is, doesn't mean the same to you. But getting to the same level that we all have to, to finish by this date, we all have to give the best that we have in order for the end. As we say with the other team leaders here, because we're five team leaders in Santa Cruz, we're going to be the best team. <laughs> we're competitive. We're going to win the other two islands. <laughs> so far, we've done, done it because we have all, you know, turning our homeworks early or right on time. <laughs> That's so you. I'm not surprised at all. You're a team lead. It's like Team Santa Cruz. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so let's let's actually bring it um, up a level a little bit since you know I'm a biologist. I've been to the islands. I know how amazing they are. Um, but could you, for anybody who really isn't, um, you know, versed in the Galapagos, can you explain why they're so unique, why they're so incredible, and the very strong conservation? Um, program that the government has around it. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a little history of the islands um, and just so that we're all up to speed (laughs) on why they're amazing. So I'll try to do a long story short because here we can talk about three hours of of all these things. So basically, uh, Galapagos is part of Ecuador, right? The islands were discovered in 1535 by the the Spaniards, by mistake. 
the islands were visited um, by pirates, buccaneers, whalers, sealers, sailors. But the islands, according to these people, they were held on earth, which is great. I cannot complain because thanks to that, now we're part of Ecuador. It was held on earth. There was no food, no water. It was just lava rocks, you know, heat. So no one cared about the islands. The islands were a hiding spot uh, at that time because, you know, uh, whalers were fighting among each other. Then um, uh, the pirates and the buccaneers were trying to steal the gold from the Spaniards that were stealing the gold from mainland Ecuador and from other countries. So it was a perfect hiding spot. And they, the only... The, the few food supply that they found here were giant tortoises. And at that time, they collect the giant tortoises, put them on the boats. And uh, as a reptile, giant tortoises can live several months without water or food. So what a great deal. You are in those boats of these pirates, buccaneers for years and years at the ocean. And you have an animal that do not need food or water to survive. And you can kill it at any time and have fresh meat. And then they took tortoises with them and they left introduce animals like rats, later on pigs, goats. And uh, then 1832, Ecuador claimed the islands, became part of Ecuador. Ecuador encouraged people to come and live here. Then 1835, Charles Darwin passed by the Galapagos, right? Thanks God, it was after they were already part of Ecuador. <laughs> yes. Uh, he realizes, yeah, because otherwise we'll they... be part of another country. Yeah, who knows? Yep. Colonized yeah. in some way, shape, or form by some power. <laughs> exactly. So three years later, yeah, after they were declared part of Ecuador, Charles Darwin passed by. And it, he realizes that the islands, each one, because he visited some of the islands in, in, in a very short time that he was here, realized that each one has a different ecosystem. Uh, he saw the same birds, but they still, being the same bird, were different. Tortoises were different. So then, you know, after, yeah, he passed by, he realized that he collected a lot of samples of, uh, of animals. And later on, he developed his theory of um, natural selection, right? Uh, adaptive radiation by natural selection. And um, more people was coming to live to the islands. We still have scientific expeditions passing by. And that's why the islands became famous also. More Ecuadorians encouraged by the government to come and live here. So basically, we had a late colonization here on the islands. And that's why we have all the wildlife that we have until nowadays. Um, then the National Park was created in, uh, in the 50s, late 50s. Uh, they declared this National Park. And imagine this, Brooke, 97% of the islands is national park. And 3% is where we can live, where we have our homes, we have our businesses, we have our farms, 3%. So that number is very, very important. 97%, no, we cannot do anything in it. That's protected, that's where the animals, plants are happy doing all, their, all what they need to do. And uh, then of course, uh, we, it was declared human heritage uh, after it was declared national park. And since that time, the conservation efforts started. We had a scientist visiting us and realizing how special the islands are in terms of the adaptation process that the animals 
are able to get here. And the changes that the, the animal gets in order to survive and to cope with the environment that they happen to be living in it. So that's why we have unique animals. Like, where are you going to see a, the Galapagos penguin? Only yes. the Galapagos. And it's the penguin that lives the, you know, closer to the equator line, where it's hot. What is that penguin doing here? <laughs> then we have the giant tortoises. Uh, they're unique to the islands. We have the flyless cormorant that lost the ability of flying, arrived to the Galapagos flying, and years and years and years passed by and lost the ability of, of flying because they decided that it was a lot more food available in the ocean and they didn't have that many predators, you know? So we have a flyless cormorant and we have the Darwin finches, right? The famous Darwin finches, that little bird that caused a huge commotion in our um, on our world yes. that Charles Darwin studied it very, very well. So how the finches occupied a different niche and in order to be successful in that niche, uh, they have a special features, right, in their beak. They specialize in eating the different food in order not to compete with each other. Then we have the mockingbirds that are unique to here, lava lizards. Uh, we have the Galapagos sea lions, and then you see how, how the animals change it. Closer they get to the equator for penguins and sea lions, the, the animal itself, in order to cope better with the heat, they reduce size, right? Well, the exception is the giant tortoises that they became giant because of availability of food and no predators. But yeah, we have this process of adaptation, of evolution, you know, you can call it however you want according to your religion. <laughs> I w we don't discuss that here. But how they adapted in order to, to be successful. And uh, how later on we had, in the 70s, tourism started here on the islands. But since the very beginning, tourism has been very, very regulated. You've been lucky, I've been lucky to travel the world, right, and to explore other national parks. And for me so far, Galapagos is one of the most regulated archipelagos in the world. Agreed. We have so many rules, so many rules to follow. You know, the boat has to have a license in order to be able to navigate around the islands. You need to have a guide. Uh, within the 97%, we have the trails where we can visit. We have trails to follow. You cannot go outside of the trail. You cannot take food to the islands. Uh, we have... Uh, a time frame where we can visit the islands. The National Park tells us the activities that we can do in, in each place. And uh, one of the most amazing things is how we manage the capacity of each place, the carrying capacity. So we want to have that many groups at the same time without bothering each other. So we will avoid definitely being, uh, I don't know, Disney World or other national parks that have so many people in it. Like I remember going to Iceland. It was dozens of people next to me in my way to get the photo of uh, waterfall number 10,000. You know, 10,000 <laughs> waterfalls. Everybody wants to see the same waterfall, right? How many photos yeah. you can take of the same water, uh, yes. of, of, of waterfall? <laughs> yeah. And counting, right? Waterfall yeah. number 1,500. Yeah. <laughs> so here we don't want that. Here we want to feel like you as a group are alone. And we've been successful in order to manage that. So that's why daily tour boats, cruise boats have 
times and have itineraries. So you don't go wherever you feel like to go that day. No, you go where the national park told you to go. And in that way, you have four or five boats around you. That means four or five groups. And then the guides know each other and they know, for for example, us or me, I like to wake up early. So whenever they know I'm on a boat, I'm going to be the first one going on the islands at six o'clock because, you know, I like the sunrise or because we, we have people that likes photos. And then another guide is going to disembark half an hour or an hour after I do. Uh, sometimes it's a loop. So one guy goes by the right, the other one goes by the left. You never feel like you are in a trap jam while you are exploring the islands. And uh, so all those regulations have made the Galapagos to be successful in terms of how we manage tourism. Uh, it doesn't feel crowded. And animals are there. For sure, you experience that ah, we have a rule of two meters distance, six feet distance, and no touching the animals and no collecting organic material. And the animals do not run away. They know we are not chasing them. They know we're not touching them. They know we're not eating them, right? So they have no fear of humans passing and visiting their home, basically, right? Because we are visiting their home. That's something that we always have to keep in mind. And they are tame, fearless, friendly, I don't know, call it however you want to call it. But they are there. The only part of the world that they would post for your photos. And you don't need to be an expert National Geographic photographer (laughs) in order to get the National Geographic shot, right? Here on the islands. So that's what what Galapagos is, right? It's, It's the place where you still see that bonding between nature and humans, where nature means animals are not scared of you, right? Or swimming with the lions and they come and kiss your mask or the penguin comes and look at you or flyless cormorants, where where they know you are another creature, a weird creature for sure, they all look at us, (laughs) that is swimming in 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 their area. But yeah, it's, that's how Galapagos is. So for me, Galapagos is magical. It's a magical it place. It's pure magic. Uh, yeah, it's magical. And how much Galapagos give us in one single trip, I, I think no other trips have been able to give me yet one Galapagos. I haven't been in Botswana. Maybe Botswana will match or, you know, in where you were in Botswana's Kenya. Botswana is very special. So uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they, they will be competing very yes. closely. You yeah. will be mind blown when you finally get there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but I'm not sure. Yeah, all the regulations that we have, right? The guides we need to do, we need to submit a report at the end of the trip, not even to the company that you work, because the companies are the ones that hire you, you know, the private companies. But you need to submit a report to the National Park Institution, that is the government, telling them, you know, which boat you were, how many people. And if you found things around, if you found trash, if the trail is not good, if there is too many people, which, well, that doesn't happen, if other boats were following the rules. So here we have a system of guides watching each other. And that's why we follow the regulations, right? We take care of each other or we control each other. That's why when some guest says, no, but what about if I can go outside of the trail? No, because there is another guy that is going to be behind me, maybe watching you are going outside of the trail. They are going to report that and I'm going to lose my job. And also we are there controlling 
that the fishermen are doing their fishing in the areas that they can. Or we are there in order to control or, 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 or to be there. So illegal fishing activities from people from other countries are not doing in our marine reserve. So that's how we manage tourism here, right? Guides are part of the chain. Fishermen, our local fishermen are also watching that international fishermen or Ecuadorian fishermen are not coming into their marine reserve to use the areas that they are only allowed to use. So tourism has become a very important part for conservation here on the islands. Due to tourism, we have all the boats moving around and we have more eyes in the field. So that's very important. And that's, you know, um, something that we don't realize because people say, well, if Galapagos is so special, why you don't close Galapagos and you live in with no one so no one can hurt Galapagos? And I say, but that's not the point. You know, I think uh, you're going to have an impact. Yes, that's for sure. I mean, we cannot lie to ourselves, but you have to reduce the impact as much as possible. And how would you like people to get awareness or to take care of places if they don't know the places? You know, there is a lot of kids that come here in family departures that they're in contact with the wildlife. And at the end of the trip, they they usually say, you know, Josie, I want to be a biologist or I, I want to do a sort of job that involves taking care of nature because they were able to experience this this week, these days around the islands, nature and something moved, you know, inside of their heart, inside of the brain, that they really want to be part of preserving these spots that we have. So Galapagos offers you so much, but also is a life-changing experience. I like agree. for grown-ups, mm-hmm. when grown-ups come here and we say, you know, you have to bring your own water bottle because we're not going to give you plastic bottles. And they say, why? You know, like, are you crazy? Well, yeah, in Galapagos, we don't want plastic. So you better come with your water bottle. Otherwise, how are you going to drink water? Or we don't use the straws. Actually, Galapagos has been one of the provinces that we've been very forward in terms of reducing the amount of plastic because at the end, plastic ends up in our oceans and that's what's killing all our wildlife there. Or you have, you know, little kids looking at you, whether you are a male guide or a female guide, and they start following you and uh, you know, you know, they want to do what you're doing. So you just put them as your assistant and at the end of the trip, they say, you know, I, when I grow up, I want to be a guide like you. And that's when you say, you know, all what I'm doing is worth it. Or when you have a mother saying, I wish when my daughter grows, is going to be like you, Josie. It's like, what? Like, you are doing something very, very good for a mother to say that, right? Yes. And I'm not saying that because I want to brag about it. But it's the opportunity that you being a naturalist guide have in order to cause an impact in someone's mind, in someone's heart. So basically it's, you know, conservation through interpretation. Conservation through interpretation, right? Because interpretation means creating something in between your ears, making something that moves in between your ears. So we want to create that in in the people that comes here to the Galapagos. Uh, in order to be able to go back home and start little changes, you know, yeah, okay, I'm not going to use a plastic bottle anymore. So I'm going to carry my water bottle 
And that's how many plastic you are reducing in your lifetime, right? It's a lot of plastic. So yeah, basically, we, I was saying that I don't want to brag of what people tell me when I'm guiding. But what I want to tell you with this is the opportunity that you as a naturalist guide have in order to cause or to produce that thinking through the interpretation that hopefully will lead later on to conservation into the with the travelers that you have in a whole year. It's beautiful. That was yeah. so that's how we manage Galapagos and a little bit of the history of the islands. <laughs> I mean if anybody listening to this doesn't want to go to the islands after hearing that spiel, I, I can't help them. I don't know what else could you possibly want in a trip. You have insane wildlife. It's beautiful. You have this gorgeous sun, the boats, amazing guides. Everybody's in it together. I mean, I mean, it was very real. Like I watched you watching other groups. Other groups were definitely watching us and especially being with a group of photographers, you definitely had your hands full because nobody wanted to move. And you're like, okay, people, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're like, vamanos. Yeah. vamanos. <laughs> no, one was, <laughs> no one was leaving. Um, so no, but it was very well regulated. And I highly respected that, especially being in other tourist destinations around the world and national parks or that doesn't happen. You know, one animal sighting and it's just a swarm of trucks and people and yeah it, the Galapagos are special and everybody needs to go yeah. yeah you know and just to add one more thing um you know I I studied my master I, I didn't mention that I started my master degree uh, I, I got a scholarship so I went two years to Spain to study management and planning of tourism because one of my dreams have been always be to be the head of the ministry of tourism here you know or to be the mayor of the city because I want to really have this change and be a destination that offers excellent service. So I've always trained myself for that. You know, that's why I went to the master degree program. And then the opportunity came two years ago that um, a, a guy that is in charge of another public institution, because those places are appointed, right? They are not voted or elected by the people. They, are, they appoint you. I said, Josie, uh, you know, would you like to be in charge of the Ministry of Tourism? So I was like, oh, what? That's what I've trained myself for. That's what I've wanted to be. Let me think about it. Because then you are in this conflict between you go to an office, sit there, and me being outside, right, doing the Chamber of Tourism, the Guides Association, participating in a lot of meetings, in a lot of lobbying. So I say, I came to that conflict of, okay, I accept what I've always wanted to do, being in charge of the Ministry of Tourism, and that means leaving behind my guiding, what, I'm, what I want, right? And I thought I was not going to have a conflict when the moment came, but I did. So I say, I told this guy, you know, give me a day to think about it. And I thought about it. I went over the whole night. And the next day I says, you know, no, I, I think, I mean, I've always wanted to be in charge of the Ministry of Tourism. But now, because I've been involved all these years, lobbying with them, lobbying with the municipality, trying to get projects working, I know how energy demanding those meetings are. 
after three years, you keep talking about exactly the same thing. And it's so hard to make changes if you don't get in the system, right? I mean, uh, people say, but Josie, sometimes you have to do good things that are not aligned with your values for the greater good. And, and you say, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm able to do that. Like, accept things that are not aligned to my ethics, to my values, in order to get a bigger thing. So I thought about that. I say, you know, and guiding, I, I have to leave the guiding behind, which is my conservation through interpretation. And you can see the changes in a matter of a week or maybe later on when your guests ride you back and uh, you keep a relationship, you know, a friendship with them and telling you, hey, Josie, you know, since my trip to the Galapagos, I have not used plastic bottles again or you know, we're more conscious about this, we're more conscious about that. So it was this internal battle, this feeling of what is the best. And at the end, I choose keep guiding, you know, keep guiding, keep being a naturalist, because I think I can produce a better impact and see faster results guiding than sitting on, a, on an office that you have endless and boring meetings and maybe in three years from now, they're going to still discuss the same thing. So that was hard, you know, that was hard. And well, and then COVID came that no guiding <laughs> around. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But no, actually on December, December, I had three trips. I was one of the few lucky guys that I, we had three trips. I had three different boats. And it was amazing. And it was people mainly from the U.S. And I, I just love, right? I just miss so much that time of being on board, no signal. I mean, if the whole world collapses, who cares? You're there on the <laughs> boat enjoying nature. And it's just a different world, you know? It's like, I want to go and be on board of the boats leading trips and meeting people, right? And who knows, maybe that opportunity will come back around yeah. in a different phase of life when you are more ready for that because you are so poised yeah. in the right position with your background, how active you are, your extensive education background. I, I feel like it's going to come around. I'm going to call you Mayor Josie from now on to, to, to manifest <laughs> it. <laughs> it's just like Josie's going to be the mayor one day and we're going to come visit her and I'm just going to call you Mayor Josie. Yeah. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I don't want it to end. We could just chat all day. Um, but just yeah, to, really. to start to um, kind of reel it in a little bit, what asks do you have of anybody listening? Um, whether, and you can take that in whatever direction you want. Is there anything that you think there's a certain message you really want to get out there um, or an action that people should do? What do you think? from your experience? Yeah, you know, uh, a message being able to live, you know, through COVID, right? And uh, me here in the Galapagos, it's, we, we really need as humans, like if you think you were not doing things totally right before, <laughs> Hopefully with all this COVID, you realize that there is a lot of ways to improve. But in terms of protecting nature, nature is the, the only 
thing that is going to give us a quality of life, a better quality of life in the future, right? Because we're so lucky to live here in a natural area, to go out, to have fresh air. You know, yeah, we do have COVID around, but it's it's nature, it's clean, it, it's protected. And uh, people that lost that those natural areas or you are on a city, you may be experiencing a different way what we're living here. But at the end, it's nature is the only thing that is there for us to make our lives better. Definitely. You know, th- th- there is this beautiful video. I don't know if you saw the documentary of David Attenberg, Alive on This Planet. It's it's very interesting. Highly recommended that everybody yeah, watch on that. This planet. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I uh, tried. <laughs> yeah. At the end, he says, if we're so selfish, okay, let's do it because we need it, right? Because at the end, everything comes to us. Let's take, on of na- let's take care of nature because we need it, which shouldn't be like that. At the end, it happens to be like this. So let's take, I mean, I hope it's not too late yet, right? To, to experience the world, go in these uh, protected areas, national parks, and always think your impact over the place that you are going and to reduce the impact. We're always going to have an impact, but just reduce it. You know, don't feel guilty. Just reduce it and do it in the best way possible in order to give back to nature what nature has been giving us until now. So that, that will be my message. You know, I mean, COVID hopefully will pass at some point soon. <laughs> yeah, we in the Galapagos, we still have a hope, right? Come and visit us or go to visit other destinations whenever you feel ready. Uh, but yeah, nature is so, so amazing with us. Nature has given us so much that we need to start giving back to nature. Some, a little bit at least. I couldn't agree with you more. That documentary was the, let's just say it was the final catapult to me actually launching Rewildology. And it even helped me name this podcast was that particular documentary. Um, So I'm, it's incredible if, if anybody hasn't watched it yet, it's on Netflix. Um, it might even be on some other channels. I'm not sure, but yeah, life on planet earth. I'm sure, but I think it's what it's called. And it's, um, David Attenborough's witness statement, as he says, um, I think that's what he calls it. of just his life being this traveling biologist and everything that he's seen around the world and how much he has seen. And so, yeah, rewilding the planet that came from pretty much him on this. And oh. so, Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because he was like the final oomph that got me over the hump to launch this podcast. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's great, Josie. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way? Is it through the hotel, um, or if anybody's really inspired and wants to chat with you, um, what should they do? Should they get a hold of me? Kind of, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, my email address. Um, you can write me an email or a WhatsApp. Uh, my well the email address is called galapaguito01 maybe the spelling sometimes is complicated there or you just uh, browse galapagosuites.com that's the hotel or my phone number plus 593-997-448110 we use whatsapp telegram signal anything that's easy for us (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm going to be here in the Galapagos leading trips. Hopefully, we'll reactivate soon here in the hotel. Yeah, anything. Yeah, we're here for you, for all of you. That's awesome, Josie. That's beautiful. They can get a hold of you and then you get a hold of me. Yes, that too. If anybody that that as well um, can get a hold of me, I can easily connect them as well. So, but yeah, yeah, and stay at your hotel. If anybody wants to do some more land-based stuff, stay at Josie and her mother's hotel. I'm pretty sure I follow you on Instagram. (laughs) It's so cute to see you. Um, So I know you're on Instagram. Um, Yeah. Recently I started with social media because I didn't know about Instagram. Now I know people... (laughs) set up dates in Israel. It's like, what? What are you doing? Using Instagram, you, you cannot go to someone and say, hey, I, let's go for an ice cream. <laughs> so I just started with social media. <laughs> oh, Josie, you're the best. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if anyone go go to the hotel, get a hold of Josie, you can connect through me. Um, either way, we'll make sure we'll get some people out to you and we'll continue chatting and, and we'll love to have another chat because I feel like, I mean, I had a whole slew of questions and just like I assumed, we only got to like this many. So we'll do another one, sure. maybe like a follow-up on barcode or something. So this sure. has been amazing, Josie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Brooke. Stay safe. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.